This is a Woodside Church podcast. Hello Woodside. It's good to be with you today. My name is Jonathan and with my wife Lois and my son Peter, I've been with you at Woodside at the East Site for about two and a half years. This, I believe, is the final message in the series titled It Means a Lot, where somebody takes a Bible passage or verse that's important to them and talks about how it has helped them, what it tells us about God, what it tells us about people, and how we can respond to it. My verse for today comes from the book of Acts, and is Acts 20, verse 28, and I want to talk about how that verse speaks to me about serving God's people, the church. Now, I've always been pretty involved in church. I grew up in church, and my culture and ethos has been very much one of pulling your weight and getting involved. I had some really outstanding examples, both in my family and in the wider church I grew up in, of people who gave long, faithful and sometimes costly service in various areas of church life. I'm also just not very good at saying no if someone asked me to do something. And so for all of those reasons, I've always been the kind of person who's on plenty of rotors and can get pretty busy on some Sundays. But a few years ago, I realised that although those were the sorts of reasons why I started serving, They weren't any longer the main thing that motivated me. Something had shifted in me, and the primary reason I kept doing the things I was involved with was now something quite different. Now, that had probably happened over a period of about 10 years, and I'd not really noticed it happening. And around the time I was seeing that change, I was reading Acts, and I came across Acts 20, 28, and something in me said, that's it. That captures how I now feel about serving God's people in the church. And I realised that God had been doing what he promised through the prophet Jeremiah, where he said that instead of giving us a list of rules to follow, he would himself write them on our hearts and mind. And he brought about that kind of change in me. So I want to talk about serving God's people, the church that Jesus died for. But I'm not going to go straight to my text. I want to talk a little bit first about serving God. The Apostle Paul was visiting Athens And he saw a great industry built around people trying to curry favour with the Greek gods by sacrifices and various acts of devotion. He gave a speech to the men of Athens, and right at the start he said this. It's in Acts 17, verse 24. He said, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Now, isn't that interesting? Because when we talk about serving people, we're talking about meeting their needs. And here's Paul saying, you can't serve God. He's got no needs. He's complete in himself. And just a glance through some of the Psalms will confirm that for you. Look at the pictures they present of an almighty God exalted above all creation. So here's the first thing that we can learn today about God. God has no needs we can meet. We are never doing him a favour. But if God has no needs, how do we serve him? I mean, everyone knows we should serve God. Is that right? The Bible certainly says so in other places, doesn't it? How do we serve God? Well, there may be a few answers to that, but I find one of them in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus talks about his return to judge the world as king. And he separates people into two groups. He commends the first group because they fed him when he was hungry. They gave him a drink when he was thirsty, offered him hospitality when he was a stranger, clothed him when he was naked, looked after him when he was sick and visited him when he was in prison. The first group don't remember doing all that for Jesus. And they say, 
When did we do that for you? And Jesus says this, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now that word for brothers and sisters in that verse is one of the common words in the New Testament for the body of believers, the church. So here's the second thing we're going to learn about God today. God counts our service to others in the church as service to himself. It also tells us something about people, which is very simply this. Our fellow Christians are really important to God. So if you want to serve God, serve his people. So with that as an introduction, let's turn to Acts 20 and verse 28. And here the Apostle Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he knows that when he gets there, he's going to end up in prison. And he doesn't know if he'll ever be free again. So on his way, he meets with the elders of the church in Ephesus. Now, Paul had spent about two and a half years in Ephesus, establishing the church and building it up. And these were people he knew well and that he valued as friends. So it's a bit of a tearful farewell. In everything that Paul says to them, there's only really one instruction he gives them, which is found in verse 28, my verse for today. And it's this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now it's that second part that really transfixes me. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now I want to show you in a minute that shepherd means servant, and that this applies to all of us, not just to church elders. But first I just want to linger a bit on that phrase where Paul is basically underlining the importance of instructions to the Ephesian elders by emphasizing the value that God puts on his church. These are people that Jesus shed his blood and died for so that they could come to know God. Now that's a very high price to pay and God must set a very high value on what he paid for. So the next thing we're learning, and it's about both God and people, is this. Our fellow Christians are precious enough to God that they were worth the blood of his son. So Paul tells the Ephesian elders to act as shepherds to this precious flock. And in the Bible, a shepherd is used as a picture of a servant leader. It's applied both to God himself as he loves and serves his people, and also to people that God asks to do the same. You're probably familiar with Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's the consequence of that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Or to put it another way, all my needs are met. I am well served by God. And the rest of the psalm details the way that God serves David and meets his needs. <clears throat> then we can move on and look at Ezekiel in chapter 34, where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, takes to task the people he's put in leadership over Israel. He says, you're supposed to be shepherds serving my flock, but you're lining your own pockets instead. And as you read through that chapter in Ezekiel, you'll find that what God expects of leaders he has appointed as shepherds is that they feed the flock, strengthen the flock, heal the flock, gather the flock together and retrieve any strays, and that they protect the flock. And because Israel's leaders are not the servant, shepherd God, the servant shepherds God requires them to be, he says basically, you're fired. I'm going to remove you from your positions as my shepherds. And then, then he says that he himself is going to come and be Israel's shepherd and serve them in all the ways that the current leaders have failed to do. God himself will become the servant shepherd for Israel. And so 
when Jesus in John chapter 10 stands up and says, I am the good shepherd. He's laying claim to all that God promised in Ezekiel in terms of having come to be the ultimate servant of God's people. And then he continues, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's come to suffer and to die to meet the deepest need of all that his flock have, the need to be reconciled back to God. And so I hope you can see that when Paul uses the word shepherd, everyone there, the elders of the church who all knew their scriptures very well, knew that it meant service and it meant sacrifice. And so is that it? The elders are there to serve the church and the rest of us should sit back and let them get on with it? Well, of course not. Um, in the early days of the church, it started with the 12 apostles basically running things. And then there came a bit of a crisis and they realised they couldn't do everything and they needed to focus on prayer and the word of God. But there was more than that that had to be done. And so in Acts 6, it says they turned over some of their own responsibilities for areas of service. It was specifically looking after the food distribution to widows and making sure it was all done fairly. They handed that responsibility over to some well-qualified people. And people who took on that kind of responsibility in the church became known as diakonos in Greek or deacons in English. And that word just means servant. And so that thread of service to God's people runs from Jesus himself through the leadership he appoints and on out into everything the church does. In all the areas we are to serve one another, remembering the amazing value that Jesus places on our brothers and sisters around us. And so the final thing we learn about God today is this, that Jesus invites us to join him in shepherding, which is serving the precious flock he died for. And when I think of it in those terms, I find two words come to my mind. The first is, what an awesome privilege. Yeah, there, there may be hard work involved, but still, what a privilege that Jesus, the Son of God, would invite us in to the work that he does to serve his people. And the second thought is, what an awesome responsibility. I don't know about you, but I really don't want to let him down when I think of things in those terms. So, how has this verse helped and guided me? Well, it's become the backdrop for my involvement in church activities. It's not necessarily always front and centre in my mind, but it's always there underpinning things. I'm just going to give a few examples of how I've seen that privilege and that responsibility of service in things I've been involved in. And by the way, these are all from before I came to Woodside, um, so nobody we know is involved. I was helping with the 11 to 14-year-old group on Sunday, not teaching, just there to help out. And I saw one of the girls, usually a very, very chatty young lady, just go quiet during the teaching and stay quiet thinking for the rest of the session. It was clear that something had affected her, something in what was being taught. The teacher didn't spot it. She had her hands quite full, um, but I noticed. And at the end, there was a round of what have you learned today? And this young lady said very quietly, my words can bring life. And the teaching had been on the passage on the tongue in the book of James and a verse in Proverbs about the tongue having the power of life and death. Now, teenagers know how destructive and hurtful words can be. But what I think I witnessed that day was the Holy Spirit whispering to this young lady, this chatty young lady, that she could build people up by what she said and how she said it. I just thought, wow. Do you know that when you work with children and teenagers, you can often be introducing them to things for the first time? It can be the first time they've ever come across it, and you get to open it up to them. Given what Jesus said about the value he puts specifically on children, 
that seems like both a huge privilege and a great responsibility to me. It's amazing. I also spent a long time on the church welcome team. It's just something I've always enjoyed doing, but I did tend to get a bit wound up by the number of people who were significantly late each week coming to church. Now, in my culture and upbringing, which I know is not everybody's, it's just rude to be late. And I wasn't the only person who thought that way. And you would occasionally hear murmured comments like, uh, I bet they're not late for school or work during the week. But this is one of the areas where I changed gradually without noticing it until one day I realised that people being late just hadn't bothered me for a while. And I discovered that I was just thinking completely differently about it. And my main attitude to the people coming in late was now this. I don't know what any of these people are going through and what it took for them to be here at all this morning. What if that woman is battling depression and social anxiety, and it's taken all the strength she can muster to get up and get dressed and drive to church this morning? What if that family's late because of the argument they have every week to persuade their teenage son to come to church, and they turn up with their hearts aching because they're worried he's drifting away from God? What if that old chap hasn't seen anybody else this week who's known his name and welcomed him by name? I felt somewhat rebuked for my previous attitude, I must say, as if Jesus would say to me, these are my precious people, I died for them, you're here to serve them, not to judge them, and I'm pleased to see them here, so just do what it says on your badge and welcome them. As my final example, I'd like to talk about body ministry. Now, if you followed Martin's Church Rebooted series or have been to in-person meetings over the summer, you'll probably have picked up the growing emphasis on body ministry on Sundays, which is putting into action 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, which says, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. It's about everyone seeking something from the Holy Spirit to bring to build each other up when we meet. Now, it does not come naturally to me to get up in front of a group of people. It's always a struggle to overcome the nerves and the fear of looking silly, but by God's grace, I do manage it. Quite a few years ago, after a Sunday when I managed to bring something I felt God might be saying, a young woman in the church came up to me after the meeting and said simply, thank you for what you said this morning, it really helped. Now that young woman had been through such a hard time over the previous few years. It's one of those situations where you just feel so much for the people involved, I wish I could do something because it's just so painful. Now, whatever I said, and I don't remember what it was, did not make everything better for her. No way. I don't know exactly how it helped, but it's enough for me if it made that week a bit easier for her, given the sorts of things she was going through. And I came out of that thinking, this stuff matters. It's not primarily about me exercising my gifts. My gift is actually for somebody else and can really make a difference. And again, what a privilege, what a responsibility. And in the tussle that's always there for me, when one side of the balance is saying, sit still, don't embarrass yourself, the heaviest thing that sits on the other side of the scales is this could make a real difference to someone. And I've been on the receiving side several times while I've been here at Woodside, where someone has brought something which has been specific to me in a way that they couldn't know, which has just felt like God saying, it's okay, I've got this. 
As I start to wrap up, I think it's worth pointing out that I've talked mostly about the organised service that's set up and coordinated by the church leadership. And of course, service goes well beyond that. In fact, serving others gets to a, an entirely deeper level and also becomes more costly as relationships get deeper. Paul tells the members of the Ephesian church to bear one another's burdens and the Thessalonians to encourage one another and build one another up. To do that effectively needs a relationship of knowledge and of trust, and we're called to build deep relationships with others in the church, partly so that we can bear each other's burdens and build each other up. And I've seen that in action many, many times. And you might say, well, that's not really serving. It's just what friends do. Yes, absolutely. But when you get down to it, both are just manifestations of love. So in closing, what can we do this week about all this? Well, to be honest, although talking about serving sounds like talking about doing stuff, I hope that what you've heard over the last few minutes has been more about how we see other people. And if we get the value that God puts on our fellow Christians really well rooted in ourselves, then serving them will follow naturally and inevitably. So mainly, just let it sink into your hearts. But here are some suggestions on things we could do to respond. First of all, when you meet with other Christians in any context, take a few conscious moments to look around at individuals and groups and think, Jesus died so that these folk would be able to come to God. They are immeasurably precious to him. And that, I think, will help to embed it into your heart. Secondly, understand that it applies to you as well. You are precious enough to God that he sent his son to die for you, and then he put you in a body of equally precious people, both to serve and to be served. If you do serve in whatever way, then, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for serving. And I hope that you will be encouraged by what I've said. It can be hard going sometimes, but try to keep in mind what Jesus said. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Fourthly, build relationships with others, in the, with others in the church and invest in them. However that looks for you. Community groups are an organised way of doing that and can be really helpful. So watch out for the new cycle of groups starting in September if that's a way that will be helpful for you to build relationships. Fifthly, consider how you could serve others. Now you know we are in really strange times, hopefully just starting to come out of them. And I'm expecting there to be lots of ways we need to support and help each other. Some of them through organised church teams, others much less formal. Ask God where he wants you. And I do entirely get that for some people that's just not where you are at the moment. And I'm hoping that I'm encouraging here, not pressurising anybody. And finally, it may be that you're not yet part of the church that Jesus died for. It's not automatic. You need to join by accepting what he's done for you and turning your life in the direction of following him. Maybe you're ready to do that, or maybe you'd just like to ask some more questions. Whatever it is, that's one of the main things that the church exists for. So get in touch. Let us know how we can help you. Well, I am done, and I hope that what I've had to say today has been of service to you. Please join me as I pray. Father, Thank you for the love that you've shown to me and the value that you place on me by sending your son to die for me so that I can become your child. Father, please make it more and more real to me that you place the same great value on my brothers and sisters 
and help me to grow in looking at them with some measure of the love that you do. Please give me a heart that wants to serve you and to serve the church that you love and show me where and how you want me to do that. I ask that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.